0: Good morning, Axis. For those of you that don't know me, I'm Andrew. I get the privilege of helping uh, lead our students and young adults. And I am excited this morning because this message this week has absolutely challenged me. Because I was a little thrown when we were at our staff meeting. and We were going over our sermon series for the summer, staycation, and I'm looking at the topics I knew there was a week that Josh and Steven would be out, and I look at the topic I'm going to receive, I find the word courage. Somehow, I'm supposed to talk about courage. I'm like, is there anyone we could get, you know, that's like been in the military, or been a police officer, been a fireman, someone over 40? No? Okay, well... I guess for whatever reason, I will, Uh, because if you're like me, a lot of times you wish you had more courage, or you find yourself with a stunning lack of it, and hopefully this message didn't just challenge me this week, but challenges you and helps us grow in our courage, so if you'll join me in prayer, uh, let's hope God can speak to us this morning, I believe he can. God, I just thank you so much, Father, that we can be here. You love us so much, and you have given us so much. A lot of times we forget. And God, I just pray that you would speak to us through your word, that you would give us minds that are empathetic and open and strong and staying for truth, that you would give us eyes to see the world as you do, that you would give us hearts to desire love and goodness. And God, I pray for those of us who are struggling a behind the scenes, or maybe it's a bit more obvious, that, God, you would work good in difficult situations, in hard situations, that you would give us comfort and peace and strength, and that, God, you would surround us with people in our lives that show us love and kindness. We love you, God. We pray all this the only way we can pray, and that's through your Spirit in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. And my question to you guys this morning is, have you ever been in a situation where you knew what you should do, but you wanted to do anything but that? Where you knew the right and good thing to do, but you did not want (laughs) to do that thing? Maybe if you're like me, it's when at the end of the pay period, you should do the fiscally responsible thing of looking at your bank account balance or checking your card statements and that is the economically responsible thing you should do, but you want to do anything but that. Maybe you open up the app and you're like squinting, because at the beginning of the pay period, you're like, man, you look at your bank account, you're like, I have so much money. And at the end of the pay period, you're like, I have like no money, <laughs> like where did it all go? Or maybe for you, for me, it's a, it's a social event where you don't know anyone and you know you should interact with other human beings. You know? That's probably the right thing to do. But uh, suddenly, your phone has just become incredibly interesting. You know? You're just like checking all these imaginary messages just to get out of conversation. Or maybe for you, it's uh, like me when David says, turn to your neighbor and say hi, give him a handshake. And handshakes just throw me. I don't know what it is. I always make the wrong decision. Because if someone walks up to you and does this, I don't know what they're doing. They could be going for a hug. They could be going for a high five. They could give you a handshake. They could do whatever this is. They could surprise you with a fist bump. And I always choose wrong. So there was one time I was meeting one of my best friends' soon-to-be wife, and we were at a church service. We're standing in the church aisle, and he says, well, turn to your neighbor, you know, shake their hand, say hello. I'd never met this woman in my life. Next time I was going to see her was at the wedding And as she turns to me, I'm like, I'm just going to skip past the awkwardness. I'm just going to go straight for a hug, just like all out. And so I just go, boom. I realized she was going for a handshake, and her hand became crumpled into my abdomen as I squeezed this woman I had never met, didn't know, and her hand is like all the way up in my chest. And uh, yeah, and then the pastor said, all right, everybody take a seat. And uh, we didn't talk for the next hour as we stood right next to each other. So that happened. So maybe you're like me and uh, even handshakes can put a little fear and anxiety in your heart. But all these situations, maybe humorous, maybe not as much, when we know the right and good thing we should do and want to do anything but that, I think we all want the ability, the gumption, the will to choose what we should do. Maybe it's more deep scenarios like when we know we should stand up for the truth when we know we should challenge our friend or family member with what's best for their lives, when we know we should make a difficult decision that may be riskier and not as easy, but it's the right thing to do. Those are the times where I think we all need that gumption and that will to choose what we should do. Well, I'm hoping we find that this morning. And we find Moses in very similar situations in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 23 to 38. It tells the story of Moses and all these people in the Old Testament. And it describes the writer in Hebrews who's writing to a group of Jewish followers of the way in the Roman Empire. They're spread all throughout in the first century uh, A.D. These followers of this new thing called the way, which was there is this carpenter named Jesus of Nazareth who was telling people how God was much more personal and knowable than people ever thought and who loved them completely and had died on a cross. These followers throughout the Roman Empire were struggling, and so the writer in Hebrews tells them these stories that many of them had probably heard of this hero of the faith named Moses and the courage he showed when he did what he should do even when he didn't want to. And we read of those tales starting in verse 23. It says, it was by faith that Moses' parents hid him for three months when he was born. They saw that God had given them an unusual child or in some Translations, a unique or not ordinary child, and they were not afraid to disobey the king's command. It was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to his great reward. It was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He kept right on going because he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. It was by faith that Moses commanded the people of Israel to keep the Passover and to sprinkle bread on the doorstep post so this angel of death would not kill their firstborn sons. We see again and again in this verses that Moses is making the decision of what he should do instead of what he wants to do. We also find a story like this that has been passed down from the early 1900s during World War II. There was a young boy, and he and his siblings were playing on the riverbank, and his two sisters were suddenly attacked unimaginably by a massive wolf. This young boy manages miraculously to find a sword nearby and plunged it into the wolf's heart. And we hear these cool stories of courageous heroes whether in fantasy tales or in the Bible, heroes of the faith. And these heroes display courage, of choosing what you should do even when you don't want to. And I think a lot of times we confuse ourselves and think courage is just that, only reserved for heroes and stories. But Franklin Roosevelt once wrote about courage, and he said, courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the assessment that something else is more important than fear And that is a decision that we can all make. You see, the writer of Hebrews was writing not just to tell people about Moses to admire how much of a hero he was, but to inspire everyday ordinary people in the Roman world to find courage in themselves. And C.S. Lewis wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, and in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, he tells the stories of these child heroes not to just be like, wow, that's a cool story, But these fantasy tales were meant to connect with our real everyday lives and inspire us to have courage as these children did. We all have the capability of courage because we are all human and because we are all special. You have the capability of courage because you are special. You might say, well, that sounds a little weird. Because often in these uh, fantasy tales like Harry Potter and Chronicles of Narnia, the heroes are always the special one, right? They're always the chosen one. There's always some sort of prophecy. And in our own lives, it doesn't really feel like there's any prophecies about us or anything special. But what's interesting is in the Chronicles of Narnia, the prophecy that makes these children so special is that they are sons of Adam and daughters of Eve. And that enables them to have this special designation of eventually becoming kings and queens ruling over Narnia. Well, all it means to be a son of Adam and daughter of Eve is simply being a human. And we all have that special designation ourselves. And you see in verse 23, you might think, well, there was something special about Moses, and that was how he was able to be so courageous. Because in verse 23, it says, they saw that God had given them an unusual child, or a not ordinary child, or a unique child. But actually, all throughout God's word, it describes us as human beings as just that unique and special, and intentionally created. In Psalm 139, verse 13, it describes us being created by God as this, For you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. That sounds like a pretty special creation to me. And in the book of Genesis, God describes creating human beings as this. When he said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. God created us with special designation and God-likeness within us, and that gives us the capability of courage within us. And you might say, well, cool, I know God's word says I have this within me, but a lot of times I don't really feel like I do. I, I don't feel at all like I do but neither did Peter in Chronicles of Narnia. That's the point. When C.S. Lewis in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe said this about Peter when he faced the wolf, it says, Peter did not feel very brave. Indeed, he felt he was going to be sick, but that made no difference to what he had to do. Courage is not about feeling brave or feeling that we have it within us. It's actually just the opposite. Courage means we do have fear. We do want to make the weaker, easier decision, but we can still make that right choice. A lot of times we confuse bravery with courage. You see, bravery is a quality, a trait someone can have. So you might say, well, I'm not very brave, but courage is merely a decision or a choice. And anyone can make that decision or choice. Peter was not brave when he fought the wolf, but he was courageous and so are the modern heroes like navy seals and a lot of them times we make these people out to be these unafraid iron clad soldiers that aren't afraid of anything but if you talk to someone like john sanchez he will tell you just the opposite that on those missions they were in fact very afraid but that made no difference into what they had to do courage is a choice and we all have all have the capability to make it but courage Is not easy. And we see that in Moses' story. I mean, look at the options he is given, starting in verse 24. It says, It was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to his great reward. These are Moses' options. Grow up in a super-duper rich family, never have to worry about a thing, have all the money and servants and homes you could want, and not have to do a single thing to earn it. Imagine getting that choice, or in modern-day terms, imagine growing up in the Bezos family. It'd be nice, right? Retirement's already set, you could have all the vacation homes you want, No pressure at work. You could probably choose to do whatever you want with your life. Not have to worry about a single thing. That's what Moses was given as an option. The other option, be exiled and travel homeless in the desert, completely broke and hated by the most powerful civilization in the world at the time. Seems like not a very easy choice to me. And a lot of times we face those choices. The choice to fit in. Or to stand out and possibly be rejected, to make a risky move or just play it safe. The choice to be a good father, mother, husband, wife, son, daughter, classmate, coworker, that choice is not easy. It is much easier to be a not so good father, daughter, mother, son, coworker, parent, grandparent. It takes much more courage to be a good one because it's not easy. So what's the key? How can we be courageous when we so often don't feel like it? Well, we find that in the story of Moses. Because again and again, starting in verse 24, it tells us how Moses was able to make those decisions. It says it was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. In verse 27, it says, It was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. In verse 28, it says, It was by faith that Moses commanded the people of Israel to keep the Passover and to sprinkle blood on the doorposts. All of what Moses did that was courageous was by faith. And you might be like, awesome, cool, I'm just going to go out and do more faith. I'm just going to muster up more faith in myself, I'm going to create more faith, and uh, I'm going to be more courageous. Well, here's the problem. Faith is not created by us. It is received by us. The original Greek word pistis describes it as this, that it is something that God grants unto us. It is God imparted, it is divine persuasion is merely something we receive, not something we create or muster up within ourselves. Think of it like this. Child grows up, and a child has the capability to do math, right? A child growing up, just going through life, could probably figure out how to do simple math, and they have the capability to do a lot more, right? But a child on his own is not going to get To do any more math than adding up a number of cookies. What's gonna happen is to channel that inner capability of the child to understand math, they're gonna need to be around someone that can teach them and impart that to them that they can receive, and they must be receptive to that knowledge. Relationship and receptiveness is the key to unlock that capability, and so it is for us. Faith is imparted by God, it is divine. And we must be receptive in relationship with him to receive that. This idea of faith, of giving all of yourself, your trust, your future, your actions, and your thoughts to God, and none of us are ever going to do that naturally. It is only when God begins to work in our lives that we are going to begin to make those decisions and have that outlook on life. And you might say, cool, awesome, so uh, I don't have to do anything then, I can just sit here, and receive faith. It's just going to come on in. Well, the issue is if someone's trying to impart something to you or give something to you, it's really difficult if you're never around that person. Imagine it like this. Imagine a grandfather. And uh, I think about my grandfather. Uh, I had two grandfathers, actually. Both of them passed, but one passed when I was very young, so I never actually got to uh, know him that well. I just knew him as a quiet man that enjoyed reading books. Well, I began to find out later as an adult that he was anything but that growing up. In fact, he was an erratic, very successful businessman who always had to be distracted. He always had noises going on. He could never sit in the quiet. He always had to have the TV going. I found out he actually was not that great of a father at times or a husband to my grandma. If you watch any TV show or movie about the businessman that probably cares a little too much about business and not enough about his family and kids, that was what I've heard is what my grandpa was like. And so it's always fascinated how me how he made this change in his life, because later in life he found Christ and became this book-reading theologian. He had an entire office and library of books, and he was a very quiet, mild-mannered Man, And it's never connected to me how in the world that happened. Well, I got the opportunity to understand when uh, two years ago at Christmas, I received a book. And it was a book written from my grandfather uh, to me and his fellow grandchildren. And it was about his understanding of life and his rules for life. Now, here's the thing. My grandfather could have been trying to impart and give that wisdom to me. If I never read the book, that's never going to happen, no matter how good he is, no matter how wise he is, no matter how well-meaning he is. If I never read the book, nothing is going to be given to me, and so it is with God. If we're never around him, if we're never talking to him or his people or reading what he's written to us, it's going to be very hard to receive anything from him. So you might say, okay, well, I'll just be around God, but you also have to be receptive to God. We've all been in a conversation where someone is technically talking to you, but is really not that interested. And sometimes I think people can be like that with faith and with God. We all know people where it seems like they grew up around church and around Christians. Maybe even went to a Christian school. And we're like, what happened Well, someone can be around someone all they want, but if they're never receptive to them, nothing is ever going to happen. We must both be around God in relationship with him and receptive to what he is trying to tell us. And that's what we see in the life of Moses. Moses is constantly in conversation with God, going to his holy place, asking him for help, for guidance, sometimes expressing doubt and frustration and confusion. And he didn't always make the right choice, but he knew God well. We see that in the life of David. David spent so much time around God, was so receptive to God, that God called him, in the book of Acts and 1 Samuel, a man after God's own heart. That he was so around God and influenced by him that he had the very heart of God. What's interesting, though, is David and Moses still made massive mistakes and we can actually read about them. But that made no difference to the heart they had being around God. And we see that even when David makes his biggest mistake. He commits two terrible atrocities I'm sure most of us would never even think of committing or have. He takes someone else's wife and then proceeds to help murder that man. But we see the heart of God when David confesses and repents and comes back to God. Having large amounts of faith, being around God, does not mean you're going to be perfect, but it is going to change you. It is not about how morally good you may be, how naturally smart you are, what Enneagram type or personality, Meyer Briggs traits you have. None of those things are going to lead to life-changing impact. It's only going to be in a relationship with God that you are receptive to him, that life change is going to happen, because as that happens, just like David and just like Moses, God is going to influence you. He's going to rub off on you. That's why people always worry about their kids and who they're hanging out with, because the people around us that we choose to interact with, honestly, influence us, and they influence us a great deal. I think about growing up, a lot of people, uh, when they are growing up, you know, your parents want you to hang out with the right kids, right? Right? Uh, Someone once said, if you want to see your future, look at who you're hanging out with. So a lot of parents are very concerned about who's influencing their kids, who their kids are hanging out with, and usually they want their kids, you know, to hang out with the good kids. Well, my parents weren't like that. Uh, In elementary school, I would come home and I'd be like, hey, uh, on the bus today, Charlie taught me a word, and it starts with an F and ends with a CK, and it's inappropriate. And they'd be like, you should hang out with Charlie more. I'd be like, what? I'd be like, I don't want to hang out with Charlie. He's inappropriate. And they'd be like, no, you're going to be a good influence on him. Or I'd come home from the bus and I'd be like, hey, Avery taught me how to gamble. I was just chucking dice in the back of the bus. I lost three erasers. And they'd be like, you should keep hanging around Avery. You'll be a good influence on him. I was like, what? I was like, I don't want to hang around Avery. He's bad. So, uh, yeah, all my friends in elementary school were. Kind of the bad kids, so all their parents thought I was a saint. Like, I would go over and they'd be like, tell my mom, like, you can play Halo. I'd be like, I can play Halo. And they like, oh, if Andrew can do it, yeah, sure, go for it. Because I was hanging out with all the bad kids, so I was, I was a saint in their eyes. <laughs> but why do most parents only want their kids to hang out with mainly good kids? Because people influence us. And if people influence, how much more is God going to influence us? When we are in relationship with Him and receptive to Him. Because when you're around God, you begin to understand and know and desire the things of God. When you're around Him, you begin to desire and understand the things of God. And what are the things of God? They are love, kindness, mercy, goodness, faithfulness, justice. The things of God are family, all throughout God's word, we see picture after picture of how important family is. It's not a coincidence that God describes himself as our heavenly father and Jesus as the God's son, that the church is described as the bride of Christ and Jesus as the groom, that we are called brothers and sisters in Christ, not fellow members of a society or a club. Again and again, we are pictured as family and God as our father, family family is one of the greatest things of God. And even our fellow man, our fellow human being, it's not a coincidence that Jesus, when he's asked what the most important commands are, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he says, love your neighbor as yourself, your neighbor being any human being you've ever interacted with. Loving your fellow human being is a thing of God. And what do those sound like? Those sound like the very reasons to have courage. Why do we have courage? We have courage for our families, for our husbands and our wives and our children and our friends. We have courage for our fellow human being because we want to see people treated well because we care about justice and we care about love and we care about kindness and we care about mercy. And as we begin to know and be around God more and more, we are going to desire these things more and more because of the faith that is growing within us. And as our faith grows, our reasons for courage are going to grow. And we are going to desire these so greatly that we will choose to do what we should do instead of not wanting to do it because we desire these things so greatly. So when we are faced with the decision to stand out, to make the riskier move, to challenge someone, to be vulnerable with someone, to love someone, to be a good parent, spouse, coworker, or child, we are going to make the courageous decision because we desire the things of God so much and the reasons for courage so much that it's worth the choice. So what are your reasons for courage? Maybe write them down, maybe write them down in your head mentally, but think about that. What are my reasons to have courage? What are my reasons to do what I should do even when I don't want to? Are those reasons strong enough? Do I desire them enough that I would make the courageous decision? And does God need to grow those desires within me as he grows my faith? What were Moses' desires? We'll close with this. In verse 24, it says, It was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to his great reward. It was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He kept right on going because he kept his eyes on the one who was invisible. It was by faith that Moses commanded the people of Israel to keep the Passover and to sprinkle blood on the doorpost that the angel of death would not kill their firstborn sons. Why did Moses make these courageous decisions. What were his reasons for courage? Because he wanted to follow God's will. Because he cared so much about his fellow man, he could not stand to see people enslaved because of their nationality and race. He couldn't stand to see people suffer. He cared about his family. That he looked around at all the governments at the time, and people don't realize this in the Old Testament, how messed up life was, that most civilizations now have some morals. Back then, they didn't. Almost every other society was promoting child sacrifice, enslaving anyone that didn't have the race or nationality that you had, and women were treated terribly. And Moses looked at that and knew that God's way was the best, and that in rescuing them out of Egypt, God did not just rescue them from slavery, but showed the entire known world that God was the one true God, that his way was worth following, his government, his morals, his laws were good, and they were worth following. And that was why Moses had the courage to stand up for this. He had reasons because of the faith that was grown in him, that God had granted to him, and he had reason for courage. And I pray we would have reason as well, that God would grow faith in our own lives, and our reasons for courage would grow as well. Let's pray. God, I just thank you so much, Father. You love us so much. I thank you for your heart I thank you that you are the God and giver of every good thing in this life, the giver of family and love, humanity, the giver of justice and kindness and joy and mercy, that you care about the orphan, the widow, slave. You care for everyone. God, help us to have courage. Help us when those moments and decisions come. And because of fear or anxiety, just because we don't care, we want to do anything but what we should do. God, remind us of our reasons for courage. Grow faith within us that we would stand strong for what we should do, that we would have courage to stay strong. We love you, God. And I pray all this through your spirit in Jesus' name.